0: wrong because so often things go wrong in our lives and we kind of look back and we're trying to figure it out what what did I do wrong what trying to figure this out and I was doing a little research on this idea uh, on the interwebs and uh, I found uh, a couple things that I thought were unique in terms of um, illustrating this point let's Show the video here, guys. This is a wedding. It's very interesting. It's really cool. Super cool skateboarding. Awesome. Love it. What could go wrong? Oh, oh. so bad. Like, that was awful. Look at this guy. He's out on his porch. Just going to have a nice cold beverage. <laughs> now, look. Now, look, he just lays there. You just, 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 lay in there. This is what, this is, this is the danger of having one of those security cameras on your porch. <laughs> All right, this next one, watch this. What is this, this? oh, hit her head. Look at the guy. Look at the guy. He's like, oh, didn't see anything here. <laughs> it's like totally ignored her. Like, I didn't see that happen. Look at this bird. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't feed birds out of your sunroof. <laughs> <laughs> it just <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. The bird pooped all over their car. Okay, check this out. <laughs> now watch. Now watch. He looks around. Does anybody see that? <laughs> Did anybody see me? No, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm fine. Everything's cool. Oh, look at this dude. Oh, my gosh. Trying to get on a horse. Look at this guy. Yeah, oh. Actually, he's, that's not as funny as this girl's laugh. (laughs) Wait, watch this guy. He thinks he's cool. Oh. Don't, Don't try that on the dance floor. Come on, man. There are all kinds of things that can go wrong in our lives. Because whether you're getting married or... Jumping on a trampoline, trying to get back on a horse, or you're just feeding the birds. Things can go terribly, terribly wrong. Now, in some ways, this shouldn't be surprising to us because we live in this broken world. Jesus himself said it to us in John 16 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You can see that one of the promises that Jesus made to us is that we would experience trouble, things that go wrong here in this life that we're living. And one of the major reasons we struggle in this life is life itself, because life has all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems. All kinds of trouble. Jesus himself guaranteed we'd see that trouble. And life happens. And it's one thing to admit that things will go wrong, that you will have trouble. It's a whole other thing to walk through the things that go wrong with the peace and courage that Jesus promises in that passage. Because he says, take heart. In one translation, it says, be of good cheer. Another way to say it would be, don't get too bent out of shape when things go wrong. Right? Because I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. And he said this because life has a way of throwing things at us that creates a gap between our expectations and our experiences. Life has a way of throwing things at us that create a gap between our expectations and our experiences. And if there's one word that could put all of this under its umbrella, under what we're experiencing, I think that word could be disappointments. Disappointments. Webster's defines disappointment as sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Now, we don't necessarily know when these disappointments, big or small, are coming our way, but they're coming. They're going to show up. They just show up kind of like an uninvited guest. Right? They don't, they, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with these disappointments as they come barging through our doors. In other words, life isn't turning out like we thought it would. And so disappointments, whether you've used that word or not, they are in your life. Disappointments. I think for so many of us, we're left with this feeling of what went wrong. What, what went wrong? And throughout this series that we're embarking on today, I want to try to wrap a little vocabulary around the feelings that all of us have that are affecting us more than I think we realize, and very often more than we dare to verbalize. Because disappointment is that feeling that it seems like things should be better, it seems like people should be better than they are. Circumstances should be better than they are. Finances should be better than they are. Relationships should be better than they are. Life should be better than I'm currently experiencing. There are so many people in the scriptures that we can look to for help. Because these biblical characters all through the Bible, almost every one of them have experienced disappointments. Disappointment is part of their story, part of the redemption plan of God. But there's this person I want to talk about today, and his name was David. David, the shepherd boy. David, the writer of Psalms. David, the giant killer. David, the king of Israel. And he gives us a great example of someone who experienced a bunch of disappointments and how those disappointments can ultimately affect our lives in really unexpected ways. So we're going to read a lot of scripture here this morning, okay? So are you with me? I'm going to put it up on the screen. I want you to read it with me. I really want you to soak it in because we're going to read a lot of this story of David and we're going to start in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but The Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are all these the sons you have? This is still the young, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now think about this. Out of all the men in Israel, God chooses David to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel comes here and it's a big deal when the prophet comes to your town and there was a big thing here, a big show. He anoints him king with oil. Did you know Think about this. It would be 15 years before David would ascend to the throne. 15 years from the time he was anointed as king until he became king. Now, that is a delay of a dream. David probably thought it was the death of a dream. And we tend to get heartbroken. I don't know about you. I get heartbroken and impatient when my dreams don't come true within a matter of months. Can you imagine holding on to that dream, that calling, for 15 years? Talk about disappointment. And for the first seven of those years, David had to spend that time in King Saul's palace. Why? Because David had done this incredible thing. He'd killed a giant. He'd killed Goliath, and Saul wanted him close. We... Pick up the story in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Now, think about that for a second. Try to put yourself in David's shoes, because often we don't see this stuff in the Scripture. You've been told, and the story goes... If you don't know the story, King Saul has lost the favor of God because he's been disobedient. He keeps rejecting God's instructions in his way. And so God is no longer with him. And in a private ceremony, as just a teenager, David is anointed by the prophet. And he's going to be the next king. But now you found yourself in the palace, right? The very palace of the very one who you're going to replace. And he won't let you go home. I think that's called abduction. (laughs) But the truth is you're stuck. You're all alone. Can you even imagine it? And it gets worse because David is going to find out very soon how narcissistic and hostile and abusive King Saul really is. Pick up the story in verse 5 of Chapter 18, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the, by the people and Saul's officers alike. And when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out and to meet King Saul. And they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Oh, there it is. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. I don't know what this thing is with twice. I think I I would have left after one. But can you imagine living in this environment? The sad reality is, for some of you, you can imagine this. Because this was your environment. As you grew up, or maybe... What's gone on in your family? So some of you, you've had to live with horrible physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse, emotional abuse, maybe even spiritual abuse. This is what David lived with for seven years while being forced to live in King Saul's palace. And then it finally gets so bad that David has to to run for his life. Pick up the story again in chapter 19, 1 Samuel 19, 9. He says, But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. And then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So he helped him climb out through a window, window, and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. And When the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. Which I think this is kind of a funny part of the story, right? So she puts the idol in the bed to be like David and the goat's hair, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they, the guys come to take him, to kill him. And she says, you know, he's sick. Could you come back another time? <laughs> What's weird is they do, they leave. And then Saul has to send him back. He said, bring him in, my, bring him in the bed. I think it's probably because those guys, it could be because those guys didn't want to kill David. They didn't want him killed. And so David starts running for four years. David runs all over Israel hiding from King Saul and his army. For four years, David has nowhere to call home. And every night, w- wondering whether he, or not he was going to get killed by King Saul. Can you imagine this? Living with such fear, such confusion. And then finally, after four years of running, David and his men find a place. A place where they can take refuge from King Saul and his army. But no sooner had they begun to settle down than this happened. 1 Samuel thirty one through 6, three days later when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. We'll come back to this story at the end here in just a little bit, but I want to make sure that you're seeing this. I want you to see how the disappointments are mounting in David's life. The confusion of being anointed the king of Israel, but oh no, not yet, not for 15 more years, right? The being forced to stay in the existing king's palace, the guy you're supposed to replace, not able to return home even though you're just a teenager. The horrible reality that you're now living in the palace with a monster who wants you dead, who verbally and physically abuses you. And which then leads to having to spend four more years on the run, running for your life, being chased by this narcissistic king and his army. And then if that wasn't enough, you finally find what you think is going to be a place where you're going to just kind of find a refuge and be safe from king's army. You finally feel safe, only to return and find out that there's another army that now has attacked you, the Amalekites. They've abducted your women and children. They've taken everything you own and burned your town to the ground. And now you own your own men, your own people that you've fought with are about to turn on you. I want you to see it. Can you imagine? Eventually, David starts to have good things happen in his life. And it's, isn't, that, isn't that kind of the way life works? You go through some very bad things, and, but it's not all bad. Our, our entire lives are not horrible. We, we do experience good things, and David was the same. David is officially inaugurated at, at some point and recognized the next king of Israel. David brings the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence. Back to Jerusalem where it belongs. The nation of Israel is expanded during David's reign as king because he conquers all his enemies. David becomes the most loved and honored king ever in Israel's history. A lot of great things are happening in David's life. But then something happens. And I want you to understand this. The nature of hurt and abuse rejection and disappointments are such that we often try to cover them up, try to cover them up with good things, with good things that are happening, that's happening in our lives. And, but eventually, here's the problem. Eventually you can cover all that stuff up, but eventually the poison will start seeping out. The poison will start seeping out in these disappointments. And I think this is the essence of what caught up with David because even though lots of really great things were now happening in David's life, look what he fell into. Look what happened. 2 Samuel 11, verse one. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites and they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He's like, My guy's got this. He stays home late one afternoon, verse two says, after his midday rest, the difficult like of of a king. David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he, he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, I want you to think about this because this is the same guy who had an uncommonly close relationship with God from the time of his youth, from the time of being a shepherd boy. This is the same guy who God had chosen above all the other men in Israel to become the king. This is the guy who had an uncanny trust and faith in God and defeated Goliath with just one smooth stone. This is the guy who had a godly understanding of authority, so he wouldn't even kill King Saul when he knew he had a claim to be king. This is the guy who danced before the Lord in complete abandonment in his underwear in front of everyone when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem. Some of you are like, What's that story about? You can read it in the Bible, it's a deal. But yet, when a pleasurable opportunity presented itself, David jumps right in. Why? Why? Well, when you think about it, sex makes you feel good. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You guys are like it there's these these things in our life that makes us feel good. You guys looking at me like, what? Pastor just said sex feels good. Yes, it does. That's why so many people do it. But only for a moment. So does alcohol make you feel good. So do drugs. So does food. So does shopping. Just for a moment but then you have to pay the bill. <laughs> you see when something is in something inside of you is not quite right. What do we do? We reach out. We reach out trying to find something, anything sometimes that will make us feel good. That will make us feel good that will quiet that inner voice and disappointment and very often trauma. The problem is it only lasts, even though it only lasts a moment, we chase after it. This is part of what I I think could have been going on with David. David had experienced so much trauma in his life and it was just lying there under the surface and it ended up taking him places. He never would have thought that he would go. And as our friend Alex Parnell said in our Overwhelmed series, when we were talking about trauma, he said, trauma has no timeline. You can end up in experiences, and just like that, you're back to where you were. And I think that David probably filled his life with survival at first. Survival, he's just trying to survive. And then he's trying to fill his life with conquering, trying to establish something. And then after that was all done, There was nothing else to fill the void, and this thing seeped out of him. To deal with something deep down that hadn't been settled. When I was in the first couple years of One Chapel, you know, we'd planted it in 2010, and we were growing, and we were in the movie theater for a while, and then we came here, and we were here for a while, and, and the we didn't have enough children's spaces and the ratios were all off. And so we, we had an opportunity to go to Westlake Performing Arts Center. And so we prayed about it. We tried to discern the voice of God to go or not to go. It just seemed so good. It seemed so right. So we went and we, we were there for a year and we had both locations. This location had a five-year lease on it. And that location was only one year at a time. And at the end of that year, we looked back at our books and we're like, oh, I don't think we can afford both of these things. What are we gonna do? We need to grow faster. We need to to have more happening here financially. And we were driven to a decision. And that decision was whether to break this lease and stay there or let that go and come back here. And it was really during this time that the Lord was working on me about what Austin needed. And it it is probably the move to Westlake and the performing arts center and that big room and that, that the beautiful auditorium that that then convinced me that God wanted us to do something different in the city of Austin that is so segmented that needs our 10 campuses and maybe more and other church planters to come to this city because there are neighborhoods that don't have a church. There are people that don't have a place to go to worship they, that's near them, that can influence them. And, and it was this process that led me to that realization. So I'm not, I've always agonized whether we shouldn't have gone. But I know what was born out of it is a vision for what's coming and what we're already doing with four campuses now but that was the seed of it. Now here's the part of the story you really don't know. I was trying to tell the church, we're coming back from Westlake and we're gonna go back to Monterey Oaks. And I agonized over that communication I was writing the first email so that people could know about it. And I was just like, oh, does this say the right thing? I'm not sure it explains it exactly. I don't want people to get discouraged or frustrated or upset. And I'm just, I was agonizing over it. And I and I made my staff, a couple of my staff members just read through it several times. And one staff guy, I, I had him read it a third time and he just, he read it. He read it and he's like, this is great. He looked at me, he says, what's wrong with you? Why are you so freaked out? He's like, these people love you. They're for you. They're going to go with you wherever you decide you need to be. You shouldn't be worried this much about this. I stopped and I realized in the church that I'd come from several years earlier, I had had to live through a scandal, a huge scandal huge church I became the interim senior pastor during that time and I had to walk the church through that scandal I there was there was there was um, news outlets in our front parking lot for months there were people who wanted to know things there was pressure on every communication that went out, I would have to sit and really craft every email I sent to the church because I knew it was going to be a press release and it would be printed the next day. And we struggled. It was just a few months after that, we had a a shooting at our church where two young ladies died. And so we had in 13 months we had this scandal and then we had this shooting and then, and then I stayed there for a couple more years as I was just kind of processing through and the church was healing up and here we went and we, we planted a church. That church sent us and, and sent us with 50 people and paid my salary for six months and it was awesome and by anybody's imagination or expectation, we were a successful church plant. But in my head, As I was trying to make that decision, sending an email, a simple email to our church, telling them what's next, I was trying to prepare an email for a scandal in my head. I was still fighting the trauma that was in my soul from a season of life where we walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and it was still living there like it was today when it was several years ago. And I realized that I was fighting an imaginary ghost and that everything would be fine. Look around, everything's fine. And I think that happens to us very often. I went to counseling, I started drilling down and I went through another round of identifying the trauma that was in my life. And you know, we talk a lot about forgiveness around here because forgiveness is a real key. Like, like you gotta release people when they hurt you, when they abuse you, and it's good. When you, you gotta live an overcoming life, you gotta forgive. But there's something more to overcoming than just walking through forgiveness because when you've been hurt, when you've been abused, when you've been rejected, misused, violated, when you've had horrible things spoken to you or about you, there's something that you've got to deal with. When life has thrown you a curveball and things haven't turned out the way you thought they should or would, maybe a loved one has died unexpectedly or you're diagnosed with a disease. When you, your spouse suddenly is asking you for a divorce, you lose your job or you've been turned down for a promotion you thought for sure you were going to get. When disappointments come one after another, And there's this increasing gap between your expectations and your experiences. And in that gap is where trauma is birthed. In that gap is where this emotional trauma begins to happen in your soul and left untouched, left unaddressed, that trauma can remain dormant for months or years or even decades. And so eventually it will start to seep out, and it'll seep out in all kinds of ways the way you're treating your spouse, it'll seep out in the way you treat your kids, and it'll seep out in your friendships or work relationships, in all sorts of addictive behavior. Think of it this way Have you ever had an infected splinter in your finger? The splinter's not infected, your finger's infected, and there's a splinter in it. And if I go up to you and you've got an infected finger with a splinter, and I just touch it, just Gently, like even just bump, bump it a little bit. You go, hey, 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 hey. What is that? It's a disproportional reaction to a very tiny thing, right? But it's infected. There's something more going on there. Listen, everybody, we all get splinters in our souls. We all get splinters in our soul, and it gets infected. Have you ever heard somebody say, you're you're overreacting? Why are you doing this? Have you ever heard somebody say, you're blowing this way out of proportion? Why are you getting so upset about this? The chances are they were right. Because when you have past wounds that get infected in your soul, and someone bumps up against them, you have a disappointment and there's a disproportionate reaction to that disappointment they're like infected splinters in your soul when people come to my office for counseling or they go to a christian counselor or something they 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 say things like i don't want i don't like how i'm feeling i just want to feel normal again what do i need to, need to do to feel better i want to suggest to you that's probably not the right question cuz it'll lead you to maybe some wrong answers it's a question that'll actually get you stuck the better healing questions are what does God think about me right here in the state that I'm in and what I'm going through. A better healing question is what does God think about the traumatic situations that are affecting me right now? What is God where where was God in the midst of that traumatic experience? You see one of the ways God brings healing into our lives is for us to become aware of the presence of Jesus in a hurtful memory. In a hurtful memory that Jesus was there. Because listen, everybody, Jesus is always with you. He's always been there. He's always working with you. Even if you can't see him, you, even if you're not aware of him, he's there and finding him in the middle of your pain is key to your healing. When David was confronted with the reality of how far his trauma had taken him, look, I want you to look at his response. For a further review, you can read the whole entire Psalm 51. It is his response to this terrible violation of adultery and murder. And I want you to see, we'll just, read the last few verses, Psalm 51, verse 15. He says, Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips and I will overcome I'll be, I will overcome with joyous praise for the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow at your feet. Because you favor Zion, do what is good for her. Be be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. You could put your life in that little phrase right there. In other words, do what is good for my life, what you think is good. Be the protecting wall around my heart. And And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. David spends a whole chapter agonizing and admitting his wrong and realizing what has happened and where he is. And he he says in this passage, he says, you want truth way down on the inside. But I want to draw your attention to verse 19. And when we are fully restored, everybody say restored. David actually talks about this reality of soul healing. In Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Listen, everybody, God wants to restore your soul. He does. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this in our groups as we meet together. There's group questions and and and. and as lots of you are got groups on other topics, but this topic is going to bubble to the service even in your in your topic of conversation. And so I want you to take the risk and be part of a group. Let's walk through this season where we're going to talk about these ideas. Let's take little steps to this belief that Jesus is with you no matter where your pain has come from. And God wants to restore you he is intent on it. It is his plan. It is his purpose. And one of the interesting things that I think is cool to look at is the, the year. The, at the new year, when the new year turns, to look at the numbers, like because there's a Hebrew meaning in the, in the numbers. And when you look at 2020, the Hebrew meaning is pretty cool. The Hebrew meaning of 2020. And so you look at that 20 is this visual picture of open hands. is this visual picture of open hands, letting go. And it has the meaning of expectancy. Expectancy, everybody say it. Expectancy, redemption, and to restore all. And as I've been thinking about 2020, as I've been praying for you, this is what I believe. God wants to restore you. He wants to redeem your past. He wants to provide redemption. Look at what redemption means. It's the act of restoring the honor, the worth, the reputation of, and the fulfillment of a person. That redemption is yours, and it's such a defining and powerful concept in the gospel of Jesus. Now, last thing, 1 Samuel 30. We're going to go back to the story, and I think the ending of David's story describes what I believe God's wanting to do in our lives. All right, here it is, 1 Samuel 30. And we're going to look at verse 3. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. They began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And then he said to Abithar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought, brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out and they came back, came to the brook of Bezor. Verse 10, I want you to notice it. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. I think this can happen to every single one of us. You could be so exhausted from what you've been through. Too exhausted to fight. Which is why it's so important to be part of a family of believers. So important to have people around you like a small group that knows you and loves you and is walking with you, can come alongside of you. But notice verse 10, but 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. And then you skip down. To 18, I want you to see the end of the story. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Verse 19 says nothing was missing—smaller, great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and the herds, and the men drove ahead of them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. And then David returned to the brook Bezor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. Look what David said. David said, no, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He's kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. And from then on, David made a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. Listen, I want you to see it. Restore all. Restore all. And even if you're too exhausted to fight, God wants to restore you. And there's some other people who will come along around you and fight with you, fight for you. Maybe you can relate to this story, and I, I want you to see these disappointment gaps today. I want, I want God to start doing something in your soul. So close your eyes, bow your head. I, want, I don't want you to think about anything else right now. I want you just to be thinking about you, your heart. Because if I've, as I've been talking here today, maybe there are some things that have been pinging you know, pinging in your own heart and mind. Maybe you're being reminded of hurts, abuse, rejections, maybe maybe disappointments that have stacked up, maybe even trauma that's happened in your life. And maybe you're just, you've been pushing those things down below the surface. Maybe you, you're just now seeing the evidence of how those things are affecting you. Today, I want you to release those things to God with open hands, open hands, This one moment won't fix everything, but it can be the start. This can be the decision of God working deeply in your life, and you can expect that as you give him your heart and soul and your history and your trauma and your disappointments. Father, I just pray that you would lead us now. as we think about these disappointments, as we think about these things in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you know every person's story in this room. You know where they've come from. You know where they've been. You know where they're destined to go. And now we pray together that you would heal our hearts. Begin today. The awareness, the process, the willingness the opportunity to do something powerful to redeem us, redeem our past, redeem our history as we come closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.